بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگس آف اللہ بی اپون یو آل ویلکم ٹو انادر ایڈیشن آف دی ڈرائیو ٹائم شو ہے آن دا وائس آف اسلام ریڈیو ٹوڈے از ٹیوزڈے دی نائنٹینتھ آف ڈسمبر ٹوینٹی ٹوینٹی تھری اینڈ And uh, those t- topics are, the first thing we're going to be talking about patience and how at this difficult time, it's important to be patient. If we look at the world today, if we look at the troubles the, the, the p- people are facing, not just, in the, not just in, the, in the third world countries, the developing countries, but in the already developed countries, the so-called modern and uh, very forward countries as well. And these people who live in these countries, like myself, like you guys, and people who are living in the West, we may seem to think, or it might be quite interesting to actually see that we're living in, in the developed world. We're living in a first world country. We're living with all these eases and all the, all the, all the things that we have accessible to us at a click of a button. But still, but still, We are sometimes still facing such difficult times and uh, tribulations that it might seem as if, you know, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to face this difficulty? And sometimes we see that people who are living in the third world countries, they have much less than us. But despite of, the, despite of this fact that they have less than us, they are sometimes, they don't even have a proper roof on their head. They don't even know if they're going to eat properly tomorrow. Sometimes we see that those people are more content and they are more happy with the simple life. And it's interesting. It's interesting. It should have been the other way around, isn't it? But it's not. Of course, that's not a broad picture. But mostly, that is what we see. But, but anyway, anyone and everyone faces... Uh, difficult times that's part of life you have happy days you have good times you have sad times and in those sad times it's important for us to be to be patient it's important for all of us to actually remain firm and that is what i want to talk about in the first part of this show that's the first segment patience overcoming trials and tribulations it's going to be quite interesting because this is actually linked to the series of uh, what we were doing or um, previously on the Drive Time show in regards to the 10 conditions of birth. 10 conditions of birth, what, what, what is that? I mean, we're doing the fifth condition today and you would be aware of it, but just for those listeners who might not be aware of what these 10 conditions of birth actually is, just to begin with, what is birth? Birth is to, in Arabic, it's an Arabic term, which means to sell yourself, to sell oneself. And... Who or to what being does one sell oneself to? I mean, we're not talking about slave trade over here. Absolutely not. But we are talking about becoming a slave. A slave to who? A slave to God Almighty. None else but Him, who is the fountainhead of all glory, who is the maker, the first, the last. And He has the power. He is omnipotent. He is the most powerful. And He sees the unseen. He is the gracious the most gracious, the ever merciful. And to sell oneself to that being, 
the person, the, the being, not person, the, the being who actually created not just us, but the whole world. We can find comfort in that. And that is what Bayat actually means. The promised Messiah upon whom be peace. Yes, the promised Messiah. And he was the Imam of the age, the leader of the age. He was the Hakam, the Adil, the arbitrator, the, the, you know, the one who had the final say in this, in this day and age, in this era. He was the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And he said that anyone who, be, who wants to become part of the community, these are 10 conditions laid out. You have to try your best, your utmost, to live your life in accordance to these 10 conditions. And that is what the 10 conditions are. We've talked about the first, the second, the third, the fourth. We're going to be talking about the fifth condition of bed. The promised Messiah upon whom be peace laid out these conditions uh, for all of us. And we have to try our best, our utmost to live our life in accordance to that one. Just to give you a little bit of a flavor of what we're going to be talking about in the second part of the show, we're going to be talking about ethical investments and sort of unveiling the principles of Islamic finance. That is very, very important in this day and age as well. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on, the nitty-gritty and all of that in regards to that a little bit later on as well. But patience. Now, the fifth condition of bed. what is the actual condition? So the promised Messiah upon whom be peace actually put down what the condition actually is. And I'll just read that for you guys. That anyone who wants to become part of the community, this is the fifth condition, that he or she shall remain faithful to God in all circumstances of life, in sorrow and in happiness, in adversity and in prosperity, in felicity and in trial, and that he or she shall in all conditions remain resigned to the decree of God and keep himself or herself ready to face all kinds of indignities and sufferings in his way, and shall never turn away from him at the onslaught of any misfortune. On the contrary, he or she shall march forward. And that is what we're talking about. And that is literally what the fifth condition is. The Holy Quran is the word of Allah the Almighty. Allah the Almighty gave that, bestowed that to the best, to the best, to the best creation. And who was that? The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Why was he the best creation? Because he lived his life in accordance to the Holy Quran. In fact, somebody asked his wife, uh, Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, that how was the conduct, the moral conduct of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And she said that, you know, look at the Holy Quran. That the whole, he was literally an embodiment of the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran teaches us all of these things. It, it takes us from a sort of a low life and, you know, a, a life which, a human life which is solely about eating and drinking and, uh, you know, marrying and having children. That's it. That is the basis. That, that's sort of akin to an animal. The Holy Quran takes us from that baseline to a a, a, a a being which is very very which has a good moral which has a good conduct and then not it doesn't just stop there it takes us from that step from that level from that status to a higher status a spiritual status as well and with that spiritual status one is able to have communion with God Almighty 
And that is the main purpose of our creation, isn't it? That is the main purpose of our creation. It's so that we worship God Almighty, so that we realize His attributes. And not just realize those attributes, but act upon those attributes as well. Allah the Almighty has mentioned in the Holy Quran, in chapter 2, verse 208, And of men, there is he who would sell himself to seek the pleasure of Allah. And Allah is compassionate to his servants. Now, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace in explaining this particular verse of the Holy Quran, he states that the people of the highest grade among the people, that, that, that is people who are completely lost in the pleasure of Allah, in the pleasure of God, and sell themselves to earn the pleasure of God, are the people upon whom the mercy of Allah descends. In this verse, Allah the Almighty says, only he is delivered from all tribulations who sells himself in my way and for my pleasure. He proves that his utmost endeavors, that he belongs to God and considers his entire being as something that has been fashioned for obedience of the Creator and service to the creation as well. How, how, how beautiful is that? That the main essence, the main purpose of, the, of our being is so that we worship God Almighty, we fulfill the rights of God, but at the same time, we fulfill the rights of mankind. And these two things go hand in hand. Like I mentioned, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the, the, on, in the fifth condition, he laid out that or well, he told us very emphatically that at times of happiness and adversity, and that's very, very important if you think about it, that if we have a friend, for example, if you have a friend, right, and you're in a time of difficulty, and whenever you're in a time of difficulty, you maybe, you know, it could be, for example, you need money. You could be short on money, and you you need some money, and you go to that friend, and you say, mate, can, you know, can you lend me some money? Can I borrow some money of you? And then, you know, there, there comes a time where you go to that same person again. Something happens again and you go to that person again and again and again. And this continues for a very, very long period. But that friend of yours, so-called friend, thinks that, you know, this person, he says that he's my friend, but he only comes to me when when he when he needs me. When he's happy or when everything is okay and everything is all right, then he doesn't even come to me, he doesn't even look at me, he doesn't even ask how I am doing. So why am I even his friend? Or am I just sort of his bank who just lends him money? So th this is the same thing. If we only go to God Almighty when we're facing a difficulty, if we're only going to God Almighty when when we need him, obviously we, we need him all the time, Right, that that I mean that goes without saying. But if we if we need if we if we need something urgently, and we just go to God Almighty for that, and then don't go to Him when you know when 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 we're at, when we're at ease, when we're happy, and when everything is 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 good in our life, then is God Almighty really going to care about us? Is He really going to be the one to you know alleviate our problems in the long run? Of course, he can do whatever he wills. Of course he can. And he does love his creation. And we should love him as well. But that is what the promised Messiah upon whom be peace is actually saying. He's saying that whenever you're facing any sort of difficulty, obviously 
obviously go to God because he is the only one that can take away your difficulty. But when you're at ease, at the same time, you should also go to him as well. So this is why we pray to God when we're happy and when we're sad. The Holy Prophet, upon whom be peace, the founder of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has also said that if you remember God Almighty at times of ease, then he will remember you at times of difficulty. And how you know how beautiful is that? Right? If you're you know, if everything is fine and you remember God, if everything is at peace and you remember God, as soon as something bad happens, he will definitely help you. He will come to your assistance, he will come to your aid. There's another saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, where he said that if you take one step towards God, he will take two steps towards you. You know, he's ready. He's ready to back you. He's ready to come and help you. But you need to take the first step. If you take, if you walk towards him, he will run. He will literally run towards you. And he will help you. He will become your hands. He will become your feet with which you walk. Your hands with which you, you hold things. He will become your everything. He will become your being, literally. And that is what we want. That is what the promised Messiah upon whom be peace is telling the community that, you know, this is how we should live our lives. This is just, by the way, this is just one condition. If this is so beautiful, imagine the other nine conditions. And people say that the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, or Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, upon whom be peace, you know, what did he do? He brought some new religion, he brought some new Sharia, he brought a new law, this and that, this and that. But, mate, listen, that's just nonsense. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm relaying the message of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. What, what did he say? He is saying what the Holy Quran says. He is saying what the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said as well. You know, it's, it's a shame that Islam had to go through this downfall. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame that after the best, literally the best prophet, the best being, that person whom Allah the, Allah the Almighty loved the most, right? His nation had to have a decline. But, you know, that is, that is the will. That is the will of God. And we cannot deny that. But it is a shame that Muslims had to go through that. Nevertheless, when there's a dark when there's a dark time, when there is darkness, what follows darkness? Light and daytime. And that is this era. That is when the advent of the holy uh, the advent of the promised Messiah upon, upon whom be peace was there. And he is the one who started the community. He is the one who said that, you know, let's come back to God. Let's come back to God Almighty because Islam is at a decline right now. Let's bring back Islam, which is the best religion, and let's teach these other people that Islam is the religion who is, who, who, which is the one that is going to triumph as well. I mean, I, I mean, I could talk about this for forever, but let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us very graciously. He has uh, accepted our invitation, Imam Sheikh Shamail Ahmed, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the show, Shamail. Thank you so much for that as well. We're talking about the fifth condition of birth, right? So I've given a little introduction about what birth is uh, and, uh, you know, the different conditions as well that we spoke about in, in previous shows. We're talking about the fifth condition, as I mentioned, and that is mainly to remain faithful, right, at all times, whether it's, you know, difficult times or whether you're at ease as well. Now, a question arises, a lot of people ask this question as well, that in Islam, is, is you know, the suffering that we face for, you know, is, is the suffering that we face, is that an expiation for our sins? So it, it's an excellent question. Um, and one thing which I would like to first echo 
which you've mentioned already uh, in, the, in the first 20 or so minutes of the show. And uh, of course, you've also mentioned the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him in regards to this. It's easy to remain faithful when, you know, everything is going okay, when everything is fine, when everything's at ease, there's no problems, there's no family issues, there's no financial difficulties. But when some sort of trial or tribulation or difficulty comes to us, to remain faithful then, that is when it becomes difficult to remember God, to keep on praying, to remain steadfast in those times. And in regards to, you know, being, uh, it being an expiation for our sins, hmm. what I'd like to say is that when we do good things and when we pray to God Almighty and everything, okay, we, we are rewarded. We are rewarded by Allah the Almighty. Everything is graceful. Everything is good. Every, we, are, we are being provided with all the facilities. So going through a difficult time and then staying faithful in that time, that is also rewarded for. And what I would like to mention is, is, is just a beautiful saying of uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said, uh, which is narrated in Sahih Muslim, which is an authentic book of hadith, the sayings of the Holy Prophet. Yeah. He said that no Muslim suffers any calamity, hmm. suffering, pain, discomfort, or anxiety, even as small as a prick of a thorn, which is, which is incredibly beautiful, even right. as small as a prick of a thorn. Hmm. But Allah wipes out instead some of his defaults and his sins. How, how, just, just, if you just take a step back, just take that in. Because no matter what you go through, it could be as small as a prick of a thorn, which is just you know, a very uh, subtle, small pain. It's like a little pinch, yeah. which lasts for not even a second. And even if someone faces that, then Allah the Almighty forgives some of these sins, and the, you know, the more the the bigger the hardship one goes through, mm, mm. the more difficult uh, a time someone goes through. Yeah. In regards to that, Allah the Almighty will forgive their sins, will help them, and and it's not just about forgiving their sins. It's not just about you know being forgiven for what they've done in the past. Is they're not just rewarded with that. They're rewarded with having stronger faith. They're rewarded with getting attaining pleasure of Allah the Almighty. They're rewarded with being close to Allah the Almighty and that ultimately means being blessed, um, being showered upon with his blessings and his grace with his grace and his forgiveness and everything which we can imagine is all encompassed in, you know, staying steadfast and staying patient yeah. in these difficult times. And the best example of remaining faithful are the prophets that we've seen in the past. And of none course. other than the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And this hadith being said that, you know, is an expiation for your sins and God forgives you for your sins. It's for the the normal the the, the average Muslim, the normal Muslim. But for the Holy Prophet, we know peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sorry. Yeah. We know that he committed no sin. His life was completely pure. It was Absolutely. pure from sin, pure Absolutely. from anything anything wrong. And even he faced such persecution, like even from his own family, his own people, um, his own uncle. You know, he mm. he faced difficulties mm. that he he grew up without a father. His mother died at a very young age, and yeah. his grand grandfather also died at a young age as well. So he, he lost those key vital family members of his life. Yet he still, you know, remained faithful to God. He still turned towards Allah the Almighty, um, which ultimately led to him, you know, led to him attaining that prophethood which Allah had decreed for him in the first place. There's examples of, you know, the the enemies putting intestines on his back while he was in prostration praying, yeah. Yeah. and he couldn't get up until someone had to come and lift that off of his back. I mean, people used to throw trash and leave, you know, 
um, unholy, un, unfathomable mm. things in Filthy, the dirty things, would, yeah. Exactly, and he would clean it with his bare hands, he would clean it himself, and he wouldn't complain about it at all. He would just stay faithful to God. Even when he went to Taif, he went to, you know, a, a near a town to go and preach to them about right. Islam. Yeah. And then, you know, he was rejected. He was sent back, and then they... The leaders of that place sent the children and said, throw stones at him. He showered stones upon him. He was bleeding. He was bleeding so much. And an angel approached him and said, that, do you want me to crush them between two mountains? And the Holy Prophet forgave them. He said, no, maybe their uh, you know, progeny will accept Islam at one yeah. point. I mean, that, yeah. is, that is what true patience is. From someone who didn't have any sins or didn't have a reason to look back and be like, okay, I committed this sin, so maybe I'm being trialed or maybe I'm having this difficulty because of that. He didn't have any of that. He was just faithful to God because he was faithful to God. There's no other way to put it. Absolutely. So in terms of expiation for your sins, yes, going through such difficulties and being patient has, is very rewardful and very bountiful. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, talking about you know being patient as well, like you mentioned, um, you know going through a suffering that's been an expiation for our sins. For clarifying that, that was very good. But Allah the Almighty loves those people who are patient, isn't it? And you've spoken about this as well. Um, what is the best way to show patience? Because you've given examples of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. How do we apply that to our lives? Because obviously, we're nowhere near his level, isn't it? So how <laughs> do course, we how course. do we sort of emulate that? Of course, of course. And it's it's a bit of the case of easier said than done. It's, yeah. it's easy to say, it's easy to not maybe not understand as such, because it is a very difficult topic to understand in terms of how to how to adopt it within our lives. Um but here with that question there's one there's one saying, one quote of the worldwide head of the Ahmed Muslim community, Hazrat mm. Musul Ahmed Mehalabi he said um in regards to this actual, uh, this actual fifth condition of uh, death, he said that no yeah. matter how hard the circumstances, how long the period of hardship, how apparent the worldly attractions, how likely the benefits uh, from diverse worldly activities, and how luring the attractions offered by the worldly powers that tells you not to worry, you should remain steadfast, regardless right. of everything. Right. And And in terms of how to remain patient, it is... I mean, there's no, the perfect way is just to explain it in the words of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of the Holy And I absolutely, this, this saying, this quote of his, this hadith of his, is so beautiful and is so, it, it encompasses such a vast meaning and has so much depth to it. Um, I'll, I'll read it out now. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it, he please. said that the steadfastness means to be resigned at the time of the first shock of grief mm, 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 i'll say that again steadfastness means to be resigned at the time for the f of the first shock of grief so not you know it's easy to you know when when something happens when you know you lose money or you lose a loved one or you know you lose some property you lose some wealth or you you know someone passes away or something something happens to you or you're going through a trial or some some sort of calamity befalls you and at the time you start wailing you start cr uh, you start crying and complaining or oh, why is this happening yeah, why is that yeah. happening it's very easy to do that and then easy, later yeah. on in life look back and be like oh okay that was right oh, i got through it, it you, to be fair you, you got through it but not in the way that you should go through mm -hmm. it. the whole the if you take this saying this quote of the holy prophet peter blessing will not be upon you uh, upon him sorry as soon as something befalls you you turn to god you stay with God and you remain faithful at that specific moment. And if you do that, 
then God will be there with you. God will help you. God will aid you. God will be there through every every second, every millisecond of difficulty that you uh, that you go through. Yeah. The Holy Absolutely. Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also countlessly explains that whatever is decreed for you will happen. What, whatever is your destiny, that is what will come to you. So if you remember remember God at all times, then your destiny will be good. You have a good destiny. The right. decree that God has has uh, put put for you will be good. And you know, one thing which which Islam teaches in this regard is that. No matter if it's good or bad, you remain faithful. You remain in the remembrance of Allah the Almighty. And one way we do this is that when something good happens, the first thing we should say is Alhamdulillah, that all praise belongs to Allah, rather than you know screaming and shouting and mm. celebrating and you know lighting fireworks and all these things. The first thing that should come out of your mouth when you have some sort of good news or some good, something good happens is Alhamdulillah, that mm. all praise belongs to Allah the Almighty. And then right. you can, you know, enjoy your celebrations as such, you know, in, in meeting friends and family. And the same thing when, when you go through something difficult, then you should always remember Allah the Almighty as well in that time. And the reasons why Muslims, it is made a bit easier for us is because that we are taught that in every little thing that we do in our lives, we start off with Bismillah. That mm. in the name of Allah, when we sit in our cars, when we leave the house, when we uh, have a bite of food, or when we finish eating, or when we sleep, or when we wake up, or when we enter a room, when we enter the bathroom, or when we leave and enter the mosque, all these little things that we do, we start off in the name of Allah. And that is what we are taught from a young age. So it becomes easier for us to remember Allah the Almighty, no matter if we are in good, in a good state, or in a bad state. And one thing which I would like to just just add on, just a little bit extra, yeah. is in regards to you know those Muslims in Palestine. Mm, Look yes. how much patience they are showing. They are going through such a difficult time, um, you know. And a lot of people um, I've seen online, I've seen on social media that a lot of people who don't have any affiliation with faith uh, or no affiliation with Islam at all, but they have seen the the patience, the mm. steadfastness. And the resilience of these Muslims in Palestine whilst they are going through such a difficult time. Yeah. And they say that they are still remaining close to God Almighty, still remaining close to the faith. And they have wondered that why is this the case? So they have started to study Islam, which I think is absolutely beautiful, just yeah. right in front of us, that even though there's such a difficult time going through, people are still taking goodness out of it and they're seeing how strong their faith is and having a positive effect on them. So in regards to how to remain patient, uh, I, f- I feel like I've asked today just that at the first point of that calamity, that trial, that tribulation, you remember Allah the Almighty. Mm. I mean, I was going to ask you that, uh, you know, about steadfastness as well, because patience and steadfastness is very much linked. And uh, obviously, you know, we know that steadfastness is also another hallmark of a of a believer. And uh, but it's good that you clarified uh, that as well. Um, one one last question then: Divine communities spiritual communities are always faced with you know persecution oppression and their believers the people of faith they're always you know they're, they're always ridiculed and cornered sometimes even boycotted as the muslims were as well now this was no different than the community of the you know the ahmadi muslim community now the founder of the community the promised messiah for upon whom be peace what did he tell his community in this regard then <clears throat> So the promised Messiah, uh, on whom be peace, has 
has you know has touched this matter various times countlessly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, before before I go to what he has said, I mean just a couple of examples. The the Jews they were persecuted by Pharaoh. You know, Prophet Moses was there. Um, the the people the followers of Jesus also you know persecuted. They weren't accepted by mm. uh, the Jews of the time. The Muslims, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings mm. of Allah be upon him, he faced immense persecution. The Muslims faced immense boycotts. Um, just because of what it, what they believed, yeah, and one thing one thing we should be reminded here is that if 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 you try to achieve something and you don't go through any difficulty, if you don't go through any hardship to try to achieve that, then the fruits of you don't have any fruits of labor because you're not going through any sort no, of labor. Do you know what time, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if you if you go through when you struggle to do something to achieve something, your goal, whether it's educational based, whether it's work-based, whether it's family-based, whatever, property-based, whatever you're going through. When you struggle a little bit and you go through a difficult time and you get there and you see the end result and you're, and you're happy, you look back and you admire that difficult time that you went through. Hmm. The same thing is with faith. If, you, if, if faith was just easy, it was just a piece of cake that you just believe and that's it, you're, you get benefits from Allah the Almighty, you're blessed with different things, you're blessed with you know, uh, long lives, you're blessed with healthy life, with progeny with a family yeah yeah Imam Shmail are you there I think it just uh, cut off uh, for some reason uh, that's uh, that's fine uh, but you know that uh, the, you know very interesting what uh, Imam Shmail was actually talking about as well and it's uh, it's something it's food for thought as well because if you know if we don't go through any sort of difficult time then that time of ease won't be as as you know, as nice as well, and we won't be able to face, or if we can't face those difficult times, then, like I said, the out, you know, the outside, the or the the you know, when when you come out of that, the end product is not going to be the same as well. If everything is the same, if everything is stagnant, then there's no if there's no ups and downs. That's not that's a very boring life. The life is full of you know enjoyments you know happy times and sad times and it's those you know it's those you know believe it or not it is those sad times when you go through those sad times and then you find ease and comfort afterwards you would actually enjoy your life much more as well than if everything was at you know a stagnant pace as well so it is very it is very interesting Shmail are you there I'm told that you're there uh, yes 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 oh, apologies I'm not sure why fine. I was, I was <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine that's fine so uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just I was just speaking on you know like how everything. If you go through a struggle, if you go through a difficulty, then the the end product feels so much better. And the same thing is exactly with faith. With these, every single person that preached about God has come under persecution. Has all these prophets that have come in the past, they have been persecuted by by the enemies, by their own people. And it's just been difficulty after difficulty. However, Allah the Almighty mentions them in the Holy Quran and praises them and says that they have, you know, attained the pleasure of Allah the Almighty hmm. by doing so. And in regards to what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has said to his Jamaatis community, yeah. um, it is it is this quote which I would like to which I like to mention. He says yeah. that it is inevitable, as in speaking to the community, he says that it is inevitable that you be persecuted and suffer many disappointments. But do not lose heart, for it is Allah who tests you whether you are steadfast in His cause or not. 
Mm. And the next the, the next part of this quote is absolutely beautiful. Is, yeah. uh, is beautifully put. He says that if you desire that angels should praise you in heaven, then endure beating and be joyful. Hear abuse and be grateful. Experience failure and do not cut your relationship with Allah. I mean, just just beautifully put that if you're if someone is being abusive to you, then stay joyful. If someone is doing bad with you, then be good with them. Just because someone is putting you through hardship, that doesn't mean you need to reciprocate that same energy. Yeah, yeah. Just endure beating and be joyful. Hear abuse and be good. It's absolutely beautiful. Just it's the juxtaposition of these words and the way the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has just mentioned that no matter what, you should always remain on the positive side. Absolutely. Be optimistic. Remember that God Almighty is with you. And he repeatedly says that as the as a divine community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community will also face persecution from all sides. Hmm. From every single side you can imagine will face persecution. The, um, the enemies, the hypocrites, the apostles, they, they will always be there, but remaining steadfast and close to God will make one flourish and will make us succeed in the end. And Absolutely. if Allah is pleased with, us, pleased with us in everything, then we will have Allah's grace and we will have His blessings in every single step we make, in every single thing we do, in every single breath that we breathe. You just look at what Islam was at first. It was just the Holy Prophet and a couple of his companions preaching in the darkness, speaking to each other in the darkness, not not speaking to anyone until God told them slowly, slowly, slowly. And 1400 years after, it is the biggest, uh, it is one of the biggest religions in the world with, with over a billion uh, Muslims across the globe. Mm. And it, the same thing is with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, that it was a small community started yeah. in the village of Qadian and so much knowledge and so much divine help was given to the promised Messiah and we see the community today has flourished in over 200 countries across the globe yeah. and we see that it is the fastest growing sect of across all religions the fastest growing sect in the entire world and that shows that the divine the, the divinity the, of this community the fact that the uh, that this is a divine community yeah, and the, the members of this community are remaining faithful, then it will always flourish as long as we stay close to Allah the Almighty and, you know, receive persecution and we take it on the chin and we keep our heads up high. One thing, one last example, which I'd like to mention, sorry if I do have enough time, is um, over a decade ago, there was a tax in Lahore in Pakistan in one of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community mosques and people... It was it was a, it was a massacre. It was terrorists had come in and shot mm. many many people, and those people remember to this day the Lahore attacks. And I remember finding out that news and just being so upset about it, and just you know just thinking why why is it happening? Obviously, we, it, as humans, it, it is inevitable. But the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, community, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, sorry, Hazrat Mizan Masood Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, stood up in the Friday sermon, the following Friday sermon. And he said that these enemies, they think they've done something, but they can't stop the Jamaat. I'm paraphrasing here, but he yeah. said in what, in, 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 as in just paraphrasing what he said, he said that he, they can't stop the community. They think these, that they've done something. They think they've achieved something. But these martyrs, their lives, their names will live on forever. Yeah. And the Ahmadiyya Absolutely. Muslim community will live on forever. And no matter what happens, no matter what befools you, no matter what the enemies may do, as long as you remain faithful to God, then you are untouchable. So th that that is just one thing which I'd like to end on, um, in terms of uh, you know what 
our community says about being patient and steadfast and about persecution absolutely very i think uh, very you know very well put there as well and uh, very eloquently um spoke about spoke about patience spoke about you know all of the all of the different things that we spoke about as well steadfastness and how to remain firm uh, in the faith as well and have that faith in god almighty thank you thank you so much jazakumullah and uh, may god bless you have a have a wonderful day ahead thank you that's thank really, you so much thank you for having me and i think you know that's that is very very much important these lahore attacks which happened i mean any ahmadi muslim around the world you know we were you know we were so sad to see that everyone was in shock his holiness came in on that friday sermon because it happened on the friday his holiness came in in the bethstu mosque which is the largest mosque in western europe for his friday for his friday sermon and he was as calm as he always is very calm and the friday sermon which he delivered was very very powerful telling us that you know we do not need to worry about these things these things you know these things happen to divine communities i mean it only happens to divine communities and for us to remain firm on our faith that is what allah the almighty wants from us this is what his holiness said his holiness told us not just at the lahore attacks a couple of months ago there was another attack in uh, in one of the one of the african countries burkina faso and some elder members of the community were martyred over there as well and his holiness said the same thing he said that we should remain f- firm on our faith because this is what happens to divine communities but the thing is is that has that ever stopped the community from spreading no that has never stopped one person goes allah the almighty gives hundreds in return and this is the practice of allah the almighty now the promised messiah upon whom be peace he's also said that in his writings if this was some sort of business if starting this community was to gather funds if this was to aid the the british government as people some people say that you know we're agents of the british government so called if this was some sort of you know some worldly organization then it would have been destroyed long time ago from its inception it wouldn't even have gone out of india not even to pakistan when there was a partition but look at the community right now allah the almighty has blessed us with you know the ahmadiyya muslim community established firmly established in more than 210 countries of the world how how great is that and this is the promise of allah the almighty just coming back to a little bit because i know we can go off on different tangents in regards to this topic because it's such a vast topic maybe i think i'll maybe uh, do another topic on this a little bit later on as well but somebody asked his holiness the fourth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community uh, may allah have mercy on him hazrat mirza tahir ahmed Why did God Almighty create suffering then? Why did he create suffering? We know and I spoke to Imam Shumail as well just before and he and I asked him that is you know when people go through suffering is that a means of expiation for their sins? Let's listen to what his holiness said in in this regard as well. The issue of suffering is a time old dilemma faced by man particularly by moralists by the leaders of religion etc what is the philosophy of suffering why should god if he is you know all merciful and all forgiving 
Why should he create suffering at all? This issue has been debated among the philosophers, among the religious leaders, various religions and their founders from times immemorial as, I, as far as I can reach. The one philosophy which was offered by Zoroaster seemed to be a mechanical and simple answer to that. He believed, not he, but some of his followers later on, not he himself, believed that there are two gods. One is of evil and one is of goodness. And they go on playing a seesaw between them. Sometimes the hand of the evil god is, 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 is descendant and over, above and becomes stronger. And sometimes the hand of the good god or god of goodness becomes powerful and gains the upper hand. This is a philosophy, but in fact a childish attempt to resolve the issue. Because that means there is no hope at all. There is no evolution. There is no set direction towards betterment of our affairs. Because if this is a, just an accidental thing, then it can go on and on forever. But apart from this Zoroastrian philosophy, which is, I believe, wrongly understood by some philosophers of later ages, all other divinely revealed scriptures speak of only one God. And he is the God of goodness. And there is no evil created by him. So what is suffering then? How is it born? If you understand this uh, philosophy correctly, then automatically the issue of evil will be resolved. Because, you know, sun sends radiation, radiation down to earth and the whole universe around the sun is illuminated by the radiation of the sun. Whichever is closer is more radiant, which is farther away is less radiant, but the sun is the source of light. Who created shadows? Who created darkness? None. It is the lack of light which creates shadows and darkness. Night in itself is not a positive value. It is a pole, an opposite pole of light which cannot be done away with. Anyone can choose to move from light to shadow or to darkness. So this choice is that of the person if he is given this option. If he makes the wrong decisions and opts for darkness instead of light, how can that God be blamed for this who created the sun for the purpose of enlightening? Now, I'm talking in general metaphors and, and, and they should not be applied in every detail because night also, the night also has its values. The Holy Quran speaks of that very clearly, that night is also essential for you. But when you symbolize these things, then light means goodness and evil means 
darkness means evil. Happiness can be likened unto light, and misery and sorrow and suffering can be likened unto darkness. So, is this uh, illustration applicable to the human experience or not? This is the second point which I want to clarify. I believe it is applicable because man's reluctance to accept the divine instruction most often creates evil from him himself. Like man's defiance of medical advice can create evil from him for him which is of his own doing. Now the issue is spread over not only one generation but generation after generation. There are some collective effects as well which are created by our forefathers and uh, we cannot run away from them yet we share the sufferings despite the fact that they were not of our own doing. So these issues become more complex when you reach this stage of resolving them because then another issue will is evolve as to why should a generation suffer for, for crimes or omissions for which its forefathers were, re were responsible, not that generation. I have taken up this issue and I have attempted to resolve it from all various angles. In a, a recently finished work on the question of uh, a revelation, knowledge, wisdom, etc., etc., where I feel you can find many answers to this question which have many sidedness. And I have tried to explain the philosophy of creation and I have tried to establish establish that in the philosophy of creation the moment you introduce the element of option there has to be suffering along with happiness. In no way can you do away with suffering. But suffering is sometimes punishment and sometimes not. When I say you inherit some um, the, the results or consequences of some misbehavior of your parents or you know, forefathers, however remote they may be, I'm not talking of crime and punishment. I'm talking of cause and effect. They're two different things. So in the world, particularly in the uh, study of evolution, it is not crime and punishment which we observe. It is the cause and effect which we observe. And in the world of cause and effect, there is also suffering and happiness. They go hand in hand. Remove one and the other will disappear at, at the same time. So this is a very profound issue which has to be read, you know, at layer and um, spoken of at, a, you know, with far greater time at your disposal than I have 
been allotted here in this brief time. So that was His Holiness, the fourth Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad. May Allah have mercy on him. We asked a question on our Instagram handle as well. Who has helped you out when times go tough? And uh, some of you guys have um, uh, have commented on that as well. I'll just read out some of the comments. A lot of people have said Allah, Allah Ta'ala, Allah the Almighty. Someone has said Allah the Almighty and my mother. Another person has said my mother. Parents and someone else has said my in-laws and my parents as well. They said, I mean, it's interesting. They said in-laws first and then parents as well. But <laughs> I mean, it's not normally like that, but good on good on her. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting because there's another question which a lot of people ask. Why do some people die in misery at a young age then? Um, you know, why does God Almighty allow that then? Uh, how, you know, young people, children to, to die. So let's listen, let's listen to another audio clip of His Holiness. And he spoke about this as well uh, right now. Yet the purpose will not be served. The fact is that when you say somebody dies in misery at young age, that's the question. Now, if you talk of him in the limited time scale which you have formed in your mind, it may be a very different time scale from the time scale we find in reality. What happens is that if that was to be the end all, then the question could have some validity. But if according to the religious theory, that person who dies at young age only changes form and lives on in a different form, then looking at it from a different angle, from the angle of an observer, perhaps he is much better off than those persons who were tried longer in this life. Because they face greater trials and they not only face greater trials but they fail most often than not. So that innocent child who has died early after suffering a little while, he in reality is much better off if he is also to be given a new life. Because he got rid of this miserable uh, imprisonment in the body. So this is why Buddhist philosophy is based on this and the Hindu philosophy is based on this and many other religions in the Far East in particular but some in Africa also are based on this philosophy that the body or the carnal shape is just an imprisonment and a punishment itself. So whoever is relieved of this is uh, relieved of that punishment and begins to enjoy a sort of liberty. So the point is that if there is a God only then you can object to him. So when there is a God you should accept him and what he tells you and he tells you that this is only a limited thing and as compared to this life you see on earth, the life which is to come has, a, has such a big, large, big and large span that this life, the entire life on earth by mankind as such becomes a speck. And the extension beyond is so big that it appears to be unlimited as compared to this one. So for a speck of misery, 
if you are to be given an unlimited life of ease and comfort and reward, is it a bad bargain? No. No. But some people would say, we don't believe. Maybe it's just a myth, a tale. This is exactly what was uh, asked of me in Karachi. There was a gathering at uh, Intercontinental. Some top notches, the so-called top notches were there. So one of them, very sensible man otherwise, he asked this question and later on this aspect came up that this, is, this may be just uh, a sort of opium to just keep us lulled. I said th that is possible, of course, but it is only possible if there is no God. If there is no God, then why are you objecting against him who is not there? Then accept it as such. The objection only becomes valid, the question only becomes valid if there is a God. If there is no God, then willy-nilly you have to accept this state. You can't help it. And if there is a God, then you accept him. Or don't object to him. So that was the words of His Holiness, the fourth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah have mercy on him. And that is basically what he's saying, isn't it? He's saying that we need to believe. And when we believe in Allah the Almighty, He is the only one that can take away our uh, our difficulties as well. I would just have to end, end this segment with a, with a prayer of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, where he says that, O oh my Lord, you are my paradise and your mercy is my protection. And your signs are my nourishment and your grace is my mantle. Very beautiful and very emphatic as well. Um, join us after the break, the news break, where we will go into our next topic and we will talk about ethical investments. Join us after after that. Asalaamu Alaikum. <laughs> People are asking, who is the gracious God? The gracious God is He who has created the sun and the moon for our benefit. The sun with which human life and the life of vegetation is associated. Through the attribute of Rahman, God grants without being asked. Can one say that the sun or the earth was created on account of one's deeds? Rahman is a being that grants beneficence of the kind that man does not have the capacity of giving. 
It is by virtue of being gracious that all creation receives God's universally prevalent beneficence. Prophets of God summon people to the gracious God for people's own good and not for any recompense. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect manifestation of Rahman because his beneficence is incomparable. Being the perfect man, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had this quality in him more than anyone else and an ordinary person too should aspire to the paradigm, deriving luminosity from the sun of 1400 years ago. In this age, the promised Messiah on whom be peace has further spread the light, the light of the promised Messiah on whom be peace is from that same gracious God. The quality of Rahmaniyat is pure favor and munificence and is not caused by any good act and is not the fruit or reward of anything. Despite humanity rejecting God, His Rahmaniyat remains overwhelming if it were not for this divine quality, majority of humanity would have been destroyed because of its misdemeanors and sins. Despite rejecting God, people are asking, who is the gracious God? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. As I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about ethical investments and unveiling the principles of Islamic finance. And uh, it's important that we talk about this as well because the, 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 the ethics of finance is something which shapes the, the, you know, the, the, the financial system uh, in, our, in our societies. Now, in this we will talk about, in this segment we're going to be talking about what the Holy Quran says in regards to this as well. And of course, the sayings of the Holy Prophet Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well. In today's globalized world, finance and investment play a crucial role in, in shaping our societies, in shaping our lives, in shaping the way that our structures are formed. Now, the, the thing is, is that the pursuit of financial gain often comes at the expense of ethical considerations. And this leads to exploitations, and that's a very big thing. Environmental degradation, and that is also, we've seen that. Social imbalances. The rich people are getting richer and richer and richer. The poor people are becoming poorer, poorer and poorer. There is no middle ground. The middle ground is becoming so little now. And the thing is, is that this social imbalance, this, uh, this proportionate distribution of wealth, is what's calling was causing that. Why do we not address this issue? Why do we not address these proper live issues that the world is facing today? Why is that? The reason why is that it doesn't affect us. 
the rich people, it doesn't affect the rich people, does it? As soon as something affects them, that is when their mottos, that is when their deals are, are, are broken or when that's when they cut deals or do deals on top of deals or they go back on their words and they do this and they do that. For example, if there's a ship that's going to go through the Suez Canal, right? But the, you know, the people who are controlling the Suez Canal and the neighboring countries, if they are not allowing those cargo ships to go to go through the canal, they have no choice but to go all the way around the continent of Africa. And that will lose in they will lose in, in, in millions. Probably even more than that if, if that continues. How interesting is that? And if someone if a nation is calling for is causing is causing or is calling for a for a ceasefire, let's just say for example, but the other nations are not supporting that. But as soon as this happens, because you know they're not going to get their cargo ships to the destinations, then all of a sudden everyone is calling causing and calling for a ceasefire. But you know, that is as I mentioned when it affects the big people, when it affects the CEOs, when it affects the bigger, bigger nations with the deep, deep pockets, that is when, you know, all of a sudden they start to care about people. But in the long run, or what we have seen before, because of this financial gain, they exploit other people. They exploit nations. And we've seen how African countries have been exploited of their natural resources. We've seen them lose their their golds, what have you, their their diamonds, uh, their you know their oil, various other things as well. We've seen how children have been exploited, how families have been exploited as well. How if we look at the Asian countries, how many you know the, the big big brands, you know you know them. I don't need to say them on air. You know who the you know big nations, big um, uh, companies are. They go in there, make their factories, and then you know they exploit the children. Those people who are working over there, sometimes they're not even children; they're adults as well. Sometimes they're you know they're, they're mothers, and they and sometimes they they even pregnant, and they're still working. They don't even get toilet breaks. They have to work on the clock. Um, that is what happens. Another thing which happens, as I just mentioned, environmental degradation. So, all of these things are imbalances. And when these occur for a long run, and no one is there to actually keep them in check, that is when problems arise. This is why it's important for us to, or for us to raise our voices, so that wherever there's, you know, investments taking place, whenever, whenever there's, a, there's a deal that's being cut, it should be ethical. We should look at everything. And in contrast to conventional finance, Islamic finance offers a, a very holistic approach to the integrities and moral principles with economic transitions when it comes to this. It provides a sort of a network and framework for responsible investing, ensuring, making sure that financial decisions align with Islamic values and ethical standards as well. It's not just a matter of gaining money. It's about giving those people their due rights as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right, um, Sajil. And also, uh, Islamic finances, it's a, it's a unique system. Um, mm. 
and it's guided by many principles which are rooted from the Quran and the Sunnah um, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm. And at its core of these principles and these values, it seeks to promote economic justice, yeah. uh, fairness and ethical conduct in financial transactions, which um, the modern world, the Western world, is sort of deprived of. Mm. So obviously throughout this hour, we'll be discussing like various principles and un- we will understand you know, how we have how can we have a just and equitable um, financial system? Hmm. Of course, we'll go through different um, hmm. principles, etc. Yeah, we'll go through we'll go through that as well. <clears throat> the first is uh, the first is prohibition of interest, and interest is very you know it's, it's important. Then you know there's other things as well: f- fairness and justice, uh, equitable risk sharing. You know, it's not just that one party takes the downfall, but when you know there's a there's a um, there's a profit and everyone shares the profit. It's not about that. It's about sharing the, uh, being equitable in this regard as well. Sharing the loss and the profit as well. Prohibition of speculation and also social responsibility and ethical investments as well. So these principles give us a, a structure of how we can do Islamic finance and how we can make sure that our societies are not the ones who are going you know, who are not plummeting. You know, for example, big, big CEOs and companies, what they tend to do or what they have, you know, what they what their practice is, is that if they see someone who's a good businessman, a local businessman, they will just buy the person, give that person an offer that he just can't refuse. Yeah. And uh, they'll buy all of his things and then put that on their market, right? Whether it's online or wherever it may be, mostly online, and then that person goes out of business. Yes, they do have a deal, but, you know, what's that person going to do in the long run then? Yeah. They might have that money right there and then, but then that person is finished. He has to start from scratch or he has to find something else to do. And this is why the big companies are taking over the little companies as well. If you see, if you look at, if you go on one of, you know, the, the, you know, the outlets of, uh, you know, online, right? you would see the same product various different times because they are from different people. Um, but the company has bought those people, those things from those people, and those people are out of business now. And this is what, this is what taking, you know, how they take over uh, small, small businesses and local businesses are being, being shut down, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that the listeners know what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, it's important that we, that we talk about this and raise our voices as well because some people might not even know that this is happening but this is a live thing which is you know which is happening also um we are going to be talking about interest and why this is the first thing is because riba or in in arabic riba is called interest and the concept of charging interest on loans or financial transactions is actually fundamentally incompatible with the islamic principles as well it, it's, it's literally not allowed. It creates an imbalance of power, fra- favoring the lender over the borrower, and often leading to exploitation and financial hardship as well. A lot of the times we see that someone who gives, you know, who lends someone money, that person is difficult for him to pay that back, right? Because the only pe- the only reason why he's asking for the money in the first place is because he's short on his on his end, and he's asking for someone. To, to borrow his money for that person to lend him money 
and for that person to say you know okay fine this is the limit if you go on top of the limit every day i'm going to charge you even more how does that even make sense you're basically yeah. asking for him to pay you money which that money in essence it doesn't exist you're asking him to create money out of nothing how is he going to do that and that is how people you know be, they, they 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 get exploited and when we take this from an individual level to a a a national level this is how nations become slaves of other nations we've seen that happen right now as well i mean there's very very prime examples of small nations you know developing countries they are slaves they can't literally say anything against those bigger nations because they lend them so much money they can't even pay those mon- that money back and that is what happens um but specifically talking about the prohibition of interest um and the economic crisis as well let's listen to an audio clip which will actually shed some lo- more light in regards to this as well if i can sort of take this argument and this or the questioners sort of thoughts further because amazofer um, has also raised a sort of wider issue in an economic context and perhaps medi sabha can come to you sort of in part answer also to the sort of second question which is sort of gripping the world today which is this big economic crisis we see every part of the world engaged in his specific question is this a very cl- complex and sophisticated economic system exists in society today yet we are experiencing a grave economic crisis the stock markets the banking systems lending investing all revolve around this issue of interest and that's often a subject which is talked about particularly within an islamic context and he then goes on to write that islam actually prohibits interest in islam what are the alternatives then we see a world which is based around the issue of interest the banks run on interest how would the islamic economic system work two questions on society madhi sir uh you know to complement what selbi sahab has said um, i i just want to quote hazrat mirza tahir ahmed khifat al-masirabi rahimahullah taala in his book uh, islam's response to contemporary issue uh, towards the end she he says that uh, if there is no god there is no peace so uh, i i agree what he has said uh, the word god has become a taboo for the modern man they don't want to use it that in schools they don't want to use it anywhere before you go further do you think they're scared i mean what's the no, fear no, this of is, using this no this is this is uh, number 1 uh, the wrong understanding of uh, a secular system that we are secular uh we we will not talk about god and we will not talk about uh, morality and if you don't teach morality how do you expect that automatically people will become responsible citizens indeed this is not possible um i i remember uh, john major former uh, prime minister of uk uh, once uh, he said that uh, now the enormous uh, expense on on the state because of teen pregnancies uh it there uh, billions of pounds and he said that perhaps we can mm-hmm. uh, start uh, promoting morality in the schools not because of any goodness but because of uh, their their cost yeah so this is something bad and i i don't know what what's the situation here but in canada they have abolished uh, prayers uh, in the in, in, in the, the schools. public schools okay uh they don't uh, teach morality and if you don't teach morality Uh, you cannot expect that the next generation will be a uh, good citizen automatically on the other hand if you if you don't talk about god and morality you are 
promoting the atheist agenda. Mm-hmm. If you're not talking about God, you are you are bringing next generation as as atheist. So, and and then there are so a lot of things going on. Uh, there are big businesses, video games, crime and uh, and, and violence in video games. And do you think that's how how the how the yeah. how from the childhood they are they are, they are getting excited mm-hmm. by killing people, and then um, television and movies and, and all sorts of things. Don't talk about God. Don't talk about morality. Give all these tools, and then they, on the internet, all this nonsense, and then you expect that there'll be no crime, and uh, so, you know this will be a peaceful society. It is not possible. So okay. until and unless people come back, as Salbi Sahib has said, that become God-fearing and become answerable to God, it will not, not happen. About the recent financial the crisis, crisis which is, let me quote. This is, there is a great prophecy in chapter 89, Surah Al-Fajr. Uh, let me give you, first uh, Allah speaks about the, the reason why it, it will happen and then the consequences. Starting so this from is pro- this is the chapter 89, verse 18. Nay, but you honor not the orphan, and you urge not one another to feed the poor, and you devour the heritage of other people wholly, and you love wealth with exceeding love. Nay, when the earth is completely broken into pieces, and made level. Okay. Now, if you are, if uh, the poorer nations are forgotten, if uh, this web of uh, loans and all this, and then they, this is modern type of slavery, and 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 in the in the in the name of global ec- economics, uh, we have developed another type of slavery, and uh, the bigger nations really don't care about the poor nation if they really want to. Uh, eliminate uh, hunger, they can do that, but they will only do if they they, they have a, a political mileage out of can it. Do it. Mm-hmm. And, and taking that concept of poverty, as an Sab, if I could come to you, every Western government, in the context of the question, but within their economic system, is it mere lip service, they say, when they say we care about alleviating poverty? There was a famous uh, rock star, uh, Bob Geldof, who went around the world saying, my mission in life is to alleviate poverty. And in the context of the banking system, you know, interest is what it's based on. I mean, are these two things interrelated? I mean, and what is ultimately, I suppose, the solution here? The solution was uh, captured in a scene that happened a few years ago in New Orleans, uh, one of the, the, the oldest and most cultural cities of the USA. Yeah. A hurricane ripped through that city, and it exposed the lives of America in a way which the government was embarrassed, because here is a, a so-called superpower who is championing the cause that we will go around the world and take care of your poor, your sick, your lame, and all these things. And yet, when this hurricane tore off the roofs of the houses, we saw in our nation with, with great pain and anguish the suffering of a section of our country far beyond anyone could still imagine in that day and age. You know, it was gripping everyone. I, I remember yeah, scenes yeah. of the question being asked here, yeah. is this powerful state? Yes. Why is it not yes, yes. helping its citizens? Helping the, the citizens in the crisis, but prior to the crisis, how could they have allowed a section of their society have fallen so low into depressed homes, you know, the squalid living conditions? It was obvious. And it, it, it speaks to this issue that slogans are there, always will be there for the person to gain the vote. But the realities of life have also been there. Mm-hmm. The system that is now in, in vogue, as uh, 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 Marisa has said very clearly, 
is not one based on looking after with full sincerity the needs of, of those who are impoverished, those who are the have-nots. And it's built to continue the wealth flowing into certain sections of society. Those are the wealthy. Banking system has been a blessing, but has been one of the greatest uh, sources of, you can say, the destruction of society in the recent years. Well, I think you say that, but I think that's probably not uh, far off a wide-held belief everywhere now that yeah. the banking crisis has led to where we are today in, yeah. from an economic standpoint. Yes. But again, this is only certain aspects of it. The Indeed. banking system had to have been instituted to help people do, to gain enough capital to acquire business, to acquire homes, to do so many things in, in our nation. And, and the, the question is quite right. You know, in absence of this system, what does Islam offer as a, a counter solution? You just can't take away everything in society and say, say now, yeah. you know, everyone wait for the mana and salva, you know, the, 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 the quails and the things to fall from heaven and, and live happily ever after. This is not how our government is set up. Um, the, the current system of, of the USA is trying to reanalyze what we have been doing where we failed. One of the things we failed in is the interest system. Interest has led us to a point where recently the, the New York City has this large uh, uh, it's, it's a type of a board that's placed up, a, a, a clock, the debt clock. Within, within New York. Within New York Manhattan. City, in Manhattan. The debt clock shows you every second how much the debt is clicking in America based on our investments, our loans, and what we are paying back in interest. It got so astronomical that the clock had no more zeros and couldn't. <laughs> they ran out of digits. They ran out of digits. And that was shocking. They said they realized that not only could we never, as a generation of Americans, repay the debt, we have put debt on the, the, the shoulders of our generation for generations to come. And this is a debt they still talk about in trillions of dollars. I mean, I can't even think of what that figure looks like if you try to stack it up. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of wealth you're referring to. We can never repay this. It's based on the, the, the debt of interest. And the answer from an Islamic standpoint about, I mean, not all capitalism from what you've said, indeed, we read, it's not that every element is wrong. It's how that capital works for the general good of society. Exactly, exactly. There have been examples in the early history of Islam where capital was a blessing, where the Muslims realized that you trade, you have business, but it's based on realities that you can have profit, you can have loss. You must accept the fact of loss. But they were such honest people, such as the case of uh, Abu Hanifa, he was such an honest man, that people would come to his home and throw their wealth into his yard and say, please invest it, and whatever you gain out of it, share it with us. And this is the basic principle of how society should be run, that you, know, you have to have an honest system where there is a built-in mechanism of loss as well as gain, not just every time you invest, I gain and gain and gain as if my money is growing, and like it's growing apples and, and, and pears in, in my backyard. That is unrealistic, and it leads to the point we have reached now, unfortunately. Zakala, I, I know time moves on, and this, these are quite extensive subjects, uh, Muzaffar Ahmed Saab, so I hope it, in part, certainly certain uh, parts of your question have been answered. We hope, of course, both these issues of socioeconomic issues are pertinent to society, the, the world as a whole. And indeed, I'm sure in subsequent questions, we will return to this. Absolutely, because it's, it is important that we talk about it. And from an Islamic perspective, it's something which is very vital. And it's the principles of finance that puts us into, into or, or, or sort of paints the picture for us, isn't it? If we do everything with justice, with fairness, with equality and equity, then obviously there is accountability. 
There was, there was no such thing as, you know, as one person or one company or a CEO or people who have influence or people who have a lot of money, a lot of wealth. They get away with whatever they want. But the little man, the layman, the laborer, they don't. How is that? How, how, where, where's the justice in this system? There is no justice if you look at it from that perspective. And that is why the teachings of Islam are so are so perfect. And they go in line, very much in line with the with the need of the time as well. If we see right now, if there is a sort of if there is justice, the way that Islam portrays justice and fairness, then societies can prevail. But if there is no justice, then there will be very, very poor nations and they will become and they will stay and remain poor. And they will be wealthy nations who will remain wealthy. But Islam has said that or Islam has promoted a system of of this of equality and equity uh, equality and sort of in a way that it's so equitable when it comes to risk sharing where both parties who are involved in a financial transaction share the potential benefits you know the the uh, the, the fruits of their labor if you may and also the losses it's not just one-sided. And this approach eliminates exploitation. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has said that when a transaction is free from ambiguity, contains no cheating, and the parties involved are honest, then such a transition is blessed. Now, this hadith, this saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, underscores the importance of justice and integrity in financial dealings. And this is what it means in Arabic sense, adal, or fairness and justice. And this is the foundation principle of, you know, foundation principle in Islamic finance. And this emphasizes honesty, transparency, equitable treatment, and it gets rid of all of this sort of talk of exploitation and this sense as well. Now, th- this principle encourages participants to provide accurate information, fostering trust. And this equitable treatment ensures that all the parties who are involved in this transaction, this business, regardless of their status, are treated fairly. How beautiful is that as well? It's not just the person who is rich and wealthy and they get away with all, of the, all, you know, all, the, all the losses and all of that. But doesn't matter what the status may be. If they are equal partners, if they have equal shares, then they both have the equal profit and equal loss as well. Now, this is what justice is. This is what equality and equity, uh, equi- equitable transactions are. Now, adal or justice also prohibits exploitation, as I just mentioned, and unjust profits. Guiding ethical wealth creation. Now, His Holiness actually continue, continues to emphasize and highlights the enduring relevance of Adil in navigating contemporary financial uh, complexities, urging adherence to ethical principles economic, in economic activities within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. This is why the Ahmadiyya Muslim community 
we don't have this sort of you know exploitation or this sort of thing that all the the elite people get away with the things and the you know the the layman or, or the the laborer doesn't get stuck in the middle that's one thing this is adl or justice another thing which is quite linked to this is musharakat and that musharaka is actually or it talks about risk sharing so if you're equal partners if you both have shares equal shares you would get the same ratio obviously it's according to your ratios and it? it's about how many shares you have in something how much you've invested in something obviously you're going to reap the benefits of that as well whatever your ratio whatever your portion actually is it means partnership but true partnership and this is fundamental concept in Islamic finance as well and this enables investors to share the risk and rewards of a business venture and this approach ensures that both parties are invested in the success of the enterprise fostering that fostering a more uh, equitable and cooperative relationship this has uh, you know this involves uh, a list of different things as well shared partnership and obviously this is quite uh, self explanatory partners contribute capital um collectively also equal profit and loss that's quite you know uh, it's easy to understand fair distribution fostering financial justice active participation is also another thing where partners engage in decision making and the the you know the stockholders or the the people who are putting their money into this business both of them have the have an equal right to make a decision whatever decision they need to make there is no sort sort of oh this person has given the same or this person has invented the same amount as that person but this person gets a say more than the other person no obviously there is a whatever the risk may be whatever the um the benefits that they might that they might achieve as all the profits that they might reap if they are equal partners then they have equal decision making abilities as well flexibility is also another thing which uh you know which is a key factor in this as well because it should be adaptable to diverse short term and long term projects now risk of mitigation is also another thing which 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 basically it's a, it's a shared burden in losses reducing individual financial exposure because you know if you just give if you just say that this person will will, will burden the loss that's not fair if it's uh, you know if, if multiple people have invested in that particular business as well modern applica- uh, application is uh, another thing to con- uh, to talking about talking about financial instruments and how that can provide a sharia compliant alternative sort of you know sharia compliant meaning a lawful when it comes to the teachings of islam a lawful compliance in this regard as well um we also have uh, another another audio clip which we would like to share with you guys as well his holiness the fourth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community has his mirza tahir ahmed spoke about this very very eloquently about the res- response on uh, interest mortgages and sometimes it might seem that yes if interest is not permissible if it's unlawful for muslims how do we sort of you know what about mortgages and living in the living in the uh, the you know developing countries and and the developed countries there is a thing called mortgage and how do we pay that when there is an an element 
of uh, of interest in that as well. So let's listen to what His Holiness had to say, and, uh, and we'll take it from there. You know, the system of mortgage, higher purchase, and all that is in fact uh, a sort of uh, mafia, financial mafia, which is uh, gradually destroying the peace of economy as such. And you can comment upon the peace of mind of the people who get involved in the system. What you are doing in fact is you are borrowing from your future and spending on your present. And in this way, you do not realize that how much extra you are paying to these financial companies who in the name of giving you a, 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 a you know, a, a sort of uh, opportunity <coughs> to possess what you cannot really possess today by charging you heavily and bleeding you heavily later on. And this is not all when this, this system is controlled by governments, various factors appear in the world which compel them to change the interest rates from time to time and that also has effect on your mortgages and everything. So the property for which you are committed to pay sometime three times as much as it, it, it values today, on the hope that uh, it would appreciate in the value faster and then uh, at the, the rate of interest that we, uh, which you have to pay with the result that ultimately when you have paid all, everything, the value of that, uh, that property would still be higher than the total value you have paid. This is the assumption on which you are working or everybody else is working. So they say, all right, why not? We don't have anything to lose. But this is not so. In longer terms, in real estate business, business crises appear from time to time. And sometimes you get yourself committed to paying three times the real price of a house if you had the, the ability to buy it by cash. This is exactly what it would amount to. For instance, a house you can buy for 70000 today in cash, if you buy it through mortgage system, in the long run you will have to pay sometimes twice, sometimes three times as much to get the possession. In the meantime, suppose the crisis has occurred, what would happen to you? You would be committed to go on paying through your nose, while the house would continue to lose its value instead of gaining. And sometimes it's no longer marketable. Even if you try to sell it and get rid of this nonsense, you simply cannot. Nowadays, particularly, many Ahmadis come and ask me to pray for, for because they want to get rid of their houses frantically. You know, they're under strong financial pressures and there's no buyer in the market. And every day the, uh, the houses of the properties are losing their value. Now, this is not accidental. This is what I want to explain, which partially I have explained elsewhere as well. This is a natural mathematical consequence of a financial system. And this is true of every financial uh, uh, 
every uh, area of financial transactions, in industry, everywhere else too. What is happening in such a society, I'll try to make this matter more understandable. I know it's a very complicated matter, so it will take me a bit longer time to make you understand all this. Let's uh, try to understand through some other illustrations in industry, for instance. Let's say the industry of England is producing bicycles at a certain rate and in a certain quantity. The larger the production, the lower would be the cost of production. Now, to become competitive in international market and also to become competitive in internal market, they are bound to sell, produce more and sell more. I mean, this is as simple as that. Now, the buying power of the country at that time is not necessarily compatible with this need of the of the industry. So the answer is they reach you through a circuitous ways in so many uh, you know roundabout manners. They say all right you can only pay 10% of the total value of the bicycle we have to offer you. So all right pay 10%. The rest will borrow from some other financial houses but you will have to pay the interest through your noses. So, what they demand, they require to stay in on the surface. You support them, you pay them to, to achieve their objective. Now, this can go on for a while, but not permanently. After a few years, they have exhausted their market uh, uh, markets or nearly exhausted their markets. The result is that the whole community is bound in the chains of debts and multiple debts because it's not only bicycles they have to go to buy, they also like to have a better television, a new model of television, a new model of this and that. So apart from the genuine needs, new models appear which can only be sold by artificially exciting your 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 fancy and uh, creating artificial tastes in you, implanting demands in you. So, as a whole, you should look at the whole question, not just the market question. The result is that the entire economy is bound to head for an ultimate crisis, and the signs of these crises generally appear in the real estate as, as the four symptoms of this crisis. If you study the history of the First World War and the history of the Second World War, just prior to those wars, you will find such financial crisis which were faced by Europe. An industrial boost about 10 years prior to that. Then the, the fall in the prices of, of real estate and things or some, you know, distorted phenomenon taking place, somewhere artificial boosting of these prices, some, sometimes, you know, falling like a ton of bricks. So things happen to, uh, things happen which make things completely out of control of an ordinary citizen. So he becomes just a, a sufferer, a victim of a system. Like uh, uh, two years ago, 
the share prices went down, you know, like like a load of bricks, as I said. And th hundreds of thousands of, the, of, of British people had to pay through their nose what uh, the system already had forced them to do. So previously they were paying them to support the system. Then they became the uh, the the, the, the uh, um, you know the target of uh, the system, and the suffering was transferred from the companies to them. Because ultimately, companies mean here in this case the shareholders, the common people, and all these. So this is a very complicated affair, which I call as a racketeering, financial racketeering, and these things always lead to war. So that is why in my other discussions I have pointed out that in the Holy Quran, when the Holy Quran says, abstain from this system or be ready to fight with God, this is the meaning of that verse. Otherwise nobody can fight with God. What is the meaning? Fighting, fighting in fact actually begins to take place. It is fighting with nature. You can't defeat nature. You are bound to suffer from the natural consequences. So apparently, individually speaking, you can't satisfy anybody. Why not? You can get a mortgage and you can own a house. Why not? Go ahead and do it. It looks so attractive. But when you understand the intricacies of the system, then you begin to understand the intricacies of each part of the system as well. Right? Thank you very much, Azir. So that was His Holiness. The fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him. Speaking about, speaking about interest in particular, to, in particular with uh, with regards to the mortgages and how we can address that and how we do address that in terms of uh, uh, the teachings of Islam. Now, the prohibition of speculation is also another thing, which uh, another factor which Islam talks about. And that is in Arabic, it's called gharar. And gharar in, it literally means uncertainty or ambiguity. And it's strictly prohibited in Islamic finance. And this principle aims to protect investors from misleading information. And when there is misleading in, you know, or in information which is misleading, that is what causes deals to be unfair. And this is how you tip the scales. And that's how companies tip the scales and CEOs and managers, they tip the scales in regards to this as well. And potential losses are due to excessive speculation as well. Now, this definition of gharar, they include a lot of different things. Uh, we'll just go through some of them as well for, for, for you guys' benefit. One thing is called definition. Now, gharar refers to uncertainty, as I mentioned, hazard and ambiguity in a contract of, tra of a, a transaction where the details are unclear or unpre uh, unpredictable as well. The second thing is avoidance of unjust enrichments. Islamic finance encourages transactions that are clear, transparent. You can see literally black and white. You can see what the you know what, what it exactly it is it is that you are investing in, and free from excessive uncertainty. And this is to prevent one party from unfairly benefiting at the expense of the other due to ambiguous terms. Sometimes, you know, it can be in simple terms or in, you know, you know, on the on the desk, uh, white collar, white collar sort of uh, uh, deals as well. But if you look at it from a very 
easy perspective, if you go to a marketplace and you want to buy, let's just say, for instance, you want to buy dates or apples or whatever. So you go to the market and you want to buy some dates and you see some some good dates uh, that you want to buy and you say, you know, can I have a handful or can I have a half kilo of, of some of some dates? And uh, instead of picking the, out the nice ones, they give you the the ones from the back. They give you a, a half a kilo from the back and then it's, it's boxed up. So say, yeah, it's ready to go. And you buy that. But when you open that box, when you get home, they're all mushed up or they're all not in any sort of condition to to eat they're unedible and that, you know that's the same thing when it comes to when it comes to uh speculation or when it comes to this uh, you know when when you don't exactly know fully what you're what you're uh what you're actually buying and the the shopkeeper knows what that person will, what, what that person's going to go home with but you don't and when you do find out, and that is when you're when you're at a loss. And this is just this is just a simple transaction. Um, so that's just one of the elements in regards to qarar or speculation as well. Another thing which is mentioned is is in contracts. Now, Islamic finance promotes contracts, as mentioned, which are clear, which are very black and white, unambiguous, and where the rights and obligations of each party are well defined. And this helps in fostering trust and fairness as well. Another thing which was mentioned in the previous factor also was balancing risk and certainty. Now, Islam discourages excessive speculation and ambiguity, but it acknowledges that every business venture involves some sort of risk because that is what business is. The key to it is to strike a balance where risks are shared fairly amongst all the parties and transactions are conducted with a reasonable degree of of uh, of certainty as well. Also, also ethical considerations. Now, the prohibition of Gharar aligns with the broader ethical framework of Islamic finance, and this emphasizes honesty. It promotes fairness and also mutual respect. And this is how the uh, act, all the uh, all the activities in uh, the economic field should take place now in in, in sort of uh, in, in in a summary the prohibition of speculation in islamic finance aims to ensure that financial transactions are conducted with clarity transparency and a fair distribution of risks preventing situations where just one party may exploit uncertainties to you know to the detriment of others as well in islam how do we counter this issue that in the west in the western nations we see that there are some countries they mostly benefit from uh, with the connection of interest how can one avoid this one as well let's listen to what his holiness had to say in regards to this one huzur in western countries most of the business and other aspect of lives has connection with interest like banking and insurance system how can we we avoid this situation Nowadays, you cannot avoid this uh, system. Even the shirt you are wearing, it's quite possible that some interest is involved in it. Or you must have paid some interest. The, the place you are working in and the payment you get from them, quite possible, is uh, from the income which uh, involves interest. 
So you cannot, you totally avoid this thing, right? This is why Hazrat Masih has said that in this present day banking system, there is too much up and down. It is not the same type of interest which was being charged in the olden days, where it was uh, multiplying in, uh, without any proportion. In one year, you will have to pay 100% interest rate. If you have taken $100 from somebody, then after one year, you will have to pay $1,000. So that was you see, the thing which was overburdening the people. This is why the people were not coming out of debt. So in this present day world, this system is something different. Even if you take loan from the bank, you pay some interest, but after some time, if you are unable to pay back your loan, your property will be confiscated by the bank and uh, they will possess that property and sell it out, right? They will sell the property and take their own money, which was their due amount, which was to be paid by you to the bank. And if there is an extra amount, which will, that will be given to you. So this is this total different system of interest. So although we should not see, here now the interest is that when you give some amount to somebody with the intention of getting some extra amount, that is the clear interest which is prohibited in Islam. Or if you invest some, somewhere, some amount with the intention of, intention of getting only profit, not loss, then it is also wrong. Other than that, you cannot say that all these things, in the present day world, if you cannot, then you cannot survive in this world. If you try to avoid every type of thing, even the, the, the bread you are taking is involved some interest in it, then will you die of hunger? Whereas Quran says that if you are dying, the pork is also permitted, the, the dead flesh is also permitted. It's all, all permissible things, right? So if you are dying of hunger. So if these things are permissible because of bigger purpose, that is your life, then interest in this day, present day world, this type of interest is somehow permissible, but we should not intentionally try to give money to somebody with the intention of getting profit only, or take some money from somebody with the intention of paying back without any even, even all, but at the same time, if you have taken loan from somebody of $100 and after the due date, you want to pay back the loan and give some extra amount, $110, that is your own will and that is not interest. And that man should accept that one. 
So here in the banks, sometimes banks give you the interest profit. Even they say this, it is in Islamic banking, it is said that there is an Islamic banking. There is a profit and loss. And that is also sugar-coated type of interest. Right? So nowadays, you cannot avoid it. But you should not even, at the same time, you should not involve yourself directly in giving and taking the interest on your money. Okay? That's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. In, in, in modern terms, interest has been ingrained in our society so much that whatever you buy, there is some sort of interest in that. But it's not the same interest as the one, you know, as his holiness explained, that if you give, if you lend someone money and you tell that person, you know, when you give me that back, you have to pay me 10% of that as well. I mean, that is 100% wrong. But, you know, that is uh, obviously, like I said, it's it's an important topic, but it's also a very lengthy topic. We can go into the, the nitty-gritties even more further in a later show as well. Uh, but that's all we have time for uh, for our show for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed it and uh, learned something. Also, I definitely learned uh, one or two things also. But uh, until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.